De'Aaron Fox had one of the best finishing seasons in NBA history. Do you think he can do it again? Does that make him a bust for fantasy drafts? We're talking Sacramento Kings. In today's show, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at JaceMedical.com. That's J-A-S-E Medical.com. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Sacramento Kings time. You'll notice that I have not done these previous shows have gone in alphabetical order, but I have not done the Miami Heat. I have not done the Philadelphia 76ers and I have not done the Portland Trailblazers and I won't do the Toronto Raptors just yet. I would love, I want these, these are going to be finished this week. So I'm waiting. Can we get something in the next 24 to 48 hours? on a trade, Harden, Lillard, whatever. So I can give you information on that. Otherwise, I'm just going to have to raw dog it and talk somehow without knowing what the hell's going on with those squads. So we're going to skip them and leave them for the very last four teams. But we're here to talk Sacramento, who I don't think are going to be involved in any of those deals. So, morning. Let's get it on, Gilly. <laughs> All right, locked on fantasy basketball bowl. There's going to be a question later in the show you can answer to get in. Categories or points. A bunch of those invites have gone out. Let me just address a few things with it. It's either categories or points. It's a slow draft. So when you see the time, go, man, I can't make it. You've got seven hours per pick. You can definitely make it unless you're going to be off-grid for the next four weeks. You can make the draft, right? There's no problem with that. These are not banging out in an hour drafts. It's multiple time zones, people all around the world. Just take your time with your picks. Not too much time. We want to bang through it, but you don't have to be there right on that time. Um, second thing with it is you just play, it's regular, you play within your division. So the schedules still need to be set on them because I'm waiting for everyone to join. Um, check your emails because there's plenty of people that have received invites that haven't gone and joined up. This third thing is at the top, you'll see that here's a league fee. Don't pay it. All you pay is your $50 entry fee. Don't pay that other one. Don't pay anything on that. Um, leave that number alone. Fantrax is going to fix that up for us. So if that's all done, you can get some details there on the screen. When you see the entry form, which is linked below in the description or in the show notes on the podcast, there is also a link to the rules, which you can read more in detail there as well. So that's going to bring us through here uh, to talk about these uh, Sacramento Kings, go in detail on how it looks for them for this upcoming season. Uh, let's let's have a crack and let's see what we've got here for the Kings. They have 46 quality games. Not a bad number. People are, again, I'll, I'll address this every five or six shows. What's a quality game? Well, what it is, is a game that is not played on a day with a huge volume of games. I use my cutoff as nine. So if there's an NBA day with 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 games, that is not a quality game because what that means on that day, it is really, really likely that you would have to choose who do I start, sit, because I don't have enough active roster spots in a standard 10-3 or 10-4 starter bench configuration. So anything that's nine games or fewer, 
basically anyone who plays for your team on that day, you'll be able to use. That's a quality game. When you do go into Basketball Monster on a default, it is set at five. I don't agree with the five, but that's fine. That's what they've always used at Basketball Monster. I always set it to nine. But that will change depending if you have like six starters and 10 bench, then your quality game threshold changes. It drops. The more active spots you've got, the more ability you've got to play players. If you're going five starters, 10 bench, then your quality games is probably going to be around five. That's what a quality game is. It's days where the players don't play on the high-volume 11-game Fridays. And the Kings have 46 of those games, so more than half of their games are not on the high-volume days, which is good. We want more of those quality games as possible. They have 15 back-to-backs, which is the maximum. I don't think that has really any impact here at all, unless players get injured. And they have 14 weeks where they play the maximum amount of games in that week. That's about middle of the pack. Not much to really look at there, but they do, when you look at their quality games, solid amount of maximum weeks, and their playoff schedule, it's pretty good. 4-3-4 if you finish 24th of March, but then they have the most games in the next three playoff configurations. If you finish 31st of March, they go 3-4-4. That's the most. If you go to 7th of April, Yahoo default, they go 4-4-4. That's the most. If you go to the end of the season like an insane person, they go 4-4-4. That is the most. The Kings, I expect, to not be the three seed this season and to sort of be in that morass of teams between 4-10, to fighting for seeding. So I would imagine, unless there's injuries, they're going to be in a situation where they're playing a lot of their games, and that is a huge boon. Most of the time, this schedule stuff is relatively neutral. There's not much to look at, but there's this is quite strong for the Kings. So if you are looking at tiebreakers with players, you're not bumping them up around or anything like that. But if you are looking at tiebreakers, there is an advantage here, I think, with a little bit of uh, with the Kings and the way their schedule is uh, likely to play out. What are some pressure points for this team for the upcoming season? Because that's important for us to note. I think one of them is going to be the addition of Sasha Vezenkov because last season they ran with Barnes and Keegan Murray as the starters. They had Trey Lyles playing some backup four and backup five. Alex Len got minutes at the five last season and then JaVale McGee's in the mix. But really, Vezenkov's a guy they didn't really have as that player to play backup minutes at the three, but almost, almost exclusively at the four. What if he's really good? Now, I think that he's obviously good because he played really good minutes and won MVPs over in Europe. That doesn't always translate to success in the NBA at a high level. We've seen guys like Nemanja Bielica, Facundo Campazzo, um, who, who have been solid. Like, Bielica is a good player, but he's not someone who comes in and goes, all right, I'm getting 30 minutes a night off the bat here. Off rip, as they would say. Doesn't come in and do that. So how does Vesenkov look? I think his defense is going to be a disaster, but I also think this team doesn't care. And there is a chance that maybe he is really good and maybe he is better than Harrison Barnes and maybe he is. If this team is serious, he might literally be better than Keegan Murray this season. doesn't mean that he would play over him, but we saw Mike Brown not really care about that. He was like, well, what's happening in this game? Are you struggling? You do not play. You play 20 minutes instead of 30. He did it with Keegan Murray. He did it with um, Kevin Herter. Um, He did it at times with Trey Lyles. Fox and Sabonis are immune to that. But another name in that mix with Vezenkov might mean more uncertainty for a bunch of other players. So that's something to watch. The health, of course, is the big thing. This was the healthiest team in the entire NBA. Basically, no. Oh, but Josh, Sabonis got hurt. Yeah, cool. He also played through everything, right? He had a thumb issue, missed like one or two games, came back, and they just didn't miss time. No one missed time. This was the most healthy team in the NBA. And while I can't sit here and tell you that Fox was healthy, healthy Sabonis, Barnes, Murray, Monk, Herder. I can tell you all that, but I can't say that each individual, one of those players is going to get hurt this season as a guarantee. 
but they are not going to have the same level of health moving forward. That is just an a, a statistical improbability that they will be that far ahead of everybody in terms of man games missed again. It's not a miracle from the training staff. It's not just the intestinal fortitude of every one of their players. They happen to get every tough-ass bastard in the NBA on their team, and no one else has got them. They're the only team who did that. None of that stuff. It's just there is. It's luck. It's just luck. And we hope nothing goes wrong. But what that can mean is that a player that you rely upon might go down, but then there's more opportunities for the others that didn't get that chance last season because everyone was healthy every game. So that can change a lot of different things here. The other thing is Fox and his finishing because it was insane. I'm not even going to talk about his clutch numbers. Actually, I will. They were ridiculous as well. And I think banking on him being the best finisher in NBA history for two years in a row, as well as the number one clutch performer in fourth quarters, if you bank on all of those numbers carrying across, I think you're going to be disappointed. Maybe he still is a really good finisher. And he is a good finisher. There's no question he's a good finisher. Is he a better finisher than prime Shaquille O'Neal? I would think thinking that happens two years in a row is, is probably foolish. And that means that this big jump, when we look at the jump that Fox took last season, huge jump in field goal percentage. Why? Because he was at like 78% or whatever it was from the rim, which is a ridiculous number. And that just seems unlikely to be able to continue. And then throw in that the clutch stuff. What if he just has a cold year and he's just not that clutch guy every season, which happens. There's a lot that can actually go backwards with Fox versus improving. And that's always going to be a somewhat risky proposition in drafts. Today's episode is brought to you by the Jace case. The Jace case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. All it takes to get a Jace case is you fill out a simple online form. You can speak to their licensed physicians, board certified physicians, in fact, and get ongoing care from them as well, as well as any treatment-related questions. It's doctor-created and doctor-recommended. So what is it? It's a case, those five antibiotics in an emergency situation, not, yeah, got a runny nose. That's not what this is for. It's for natural disasters. It's for pandemics when you can't get to a hospital because your car has been swallowed up by an earthquake. See, it sounds extreme. It is, but that's what this is for, disaster preparedness. Having those things at home, which literally might be the difference between life or death because you cannot get to your hospital to get that medication. We all want to be able to protect our family and help our family in times of need. And that is what the Jace case provides, giving you those emergency use antibiotics as well as peace of mind. Because honestly, I hope you never have to use it. I hope you buy it and never have to use it. That's the idea. Jace case, get 20 bucks off these life-saving antibiotics today at Jace Medical by using the code Locked On at checkout at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com Breakout candidates. This is going to fly in the face of things that I say later, but as I will tell you plenty of times, is that breakout candidates does not preclude somebody from being a sleeper and it definitely does not preclude somebody from being a bust. And that's where I'm at with Keegan Murray. Keegan Murray was someone who, there were plenty of people going pretty hard on him last season in drafts. I... Again, cards on the table, never would have picked him at pick four. Never would have done it. Still probably wouldn't do it now in a redraft. But I am higher on him. What, I had him nine, I think, that year. I've moved him up from there, right? That, that's all, all well and good. So you understand that I come from a, a spot where I didn't really rate what he did. And part of my concern from him coming to college in the NBA was like, I don't think he's ever going to have that offensive and defensive role that he had at Iowa. And that was literally 100% true. He didn't have any of those things. But he was able to be successful 
successful, I say, and that sounds like I'm being patronized, but successful in a sense, because for fantasy, he wasn't super successful. And he is going to go, we're going to go under the lens on Keegan, so I don't want to talk about it. But it is also possible that in year two, he just completely blows up. That's possible too. So he's got a chance to fully exceed my projections, which again, admittedly, are probably on the low side for Keegan. He can easily do that. And the other one is the other forward there, and that's Saja Vezenkov. I don't think both of those guys are going to break out, but I'm pretty like soft on Vezenkov in terms of minutes because I don't think he's coming in and playing 30. I don't think he's even playing 25 or 26. He might be a 23-minute-a-night player, sort of behind Barnes, behind um, behind Murray, because uh, he won't get all the minutes at the three if he gets any at all. But maybe he is ready. Maybe he's just so lethal as a shooter that in order to maintain this offense, he just fits perfectly. Again, my projections would suggest no for both of them, but that's the idea of a breakout. Guys that have a chance, like Harrison Barnes, very, very unlikely, in fact, close to impossible, that he breaks out and beats his projections by a sizable margin. Probably not going to happen. I'd say the same with Sabonis. Not to say he's going to be bad, but when I look at his numbers, I, I can't really even squint and go, yeah, well, maybe. Maybe he does this better. I don't really see how that happens either. These two, I can. And that will bring us to talk about Keegan Murray and put him under the lens. Don't be shocked by this first graph because it's his free throw percentage. I know that we know that free throw percentage is the second most variable category year on year. It's also, and I don't have all of the data on this at the moment, but it is the most, well, second most variable category week on week, if not the most. But it just, it stands to reason and I think all the data shows it out. Look at those numbers. Look at that graph. And if you can't see this because you're on audio, come across to YouTube and have a squeeze at it. But he has three weeks where he didn't hit a single free throw. Now, that's not because he necessarily was going 0 of 10. It just means he didn't get to the line at all. He's also got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 weeks where he went 100% from the line. But this is the thing. When someone is at such a low volume that Keegan Murray was, he took one free throw a game. And over the course of the season, you look at him as 76.5%. Below league average, which is around 79, 80 but not terrible, low volume. But some weeks you get a zero, some weeks you get a hundred, you get an 80, you get a 70, you get a 30. It's all over the place. So there's absolutely no reliability in his free throw numbers last season at all. None. And that's part of the part of the reason is, actually it's not, but it's part of the reason that I'm really cautious about free throw percentage numbers. But also why I think that Murray was incredibly overrated as a fantasy player last season. Because if we look at these numbers, they're not good. 166th in Yahoo per game points, 150th in ESPN per game points, 152nd in minus one rankings. He averaged um, 12 points a game. He only played 30 minutes. He hit 2.63, and I know that someone's going to tell me, Josh, how can you say it wasn't good? He broke the rookie record for threes, and that is 100% true. He did break the rookie record for threes, but everything else is bad. 4.6 rebounds, 1.2 assists, 0.8 steals, 0.5 blocks, shooting 45 and 77. That's a true shooting of 60% because of how well he shot his threes. But unfortunately, a default category in fantasy is not true shooting, nor is it effective field goal percentage, even though it probably should be. It's field goals. And he was at 45% and below average on free throws too. So realistically, he gave you one category, threes. And even that at 2.6 is not breaking the bank stuff. It's solid. He wasn't very good. And he was honestly unrosterable for big chunks of the season in either format. That doesn't mean that that's what sticks this season. He can easily be better. 
well, number one, you look at him playing 30 minutes a night. That can jump up. There's no question about that. His usage, which was, again, a putridly low number, 15.7%. He was the sixth offensive option on this team behind Sabonis, Fox, Barnes, Herder, and Malik Monk. Out of their top six minutes, guys, he was the lowest in the offensive totem pole. It's a very easy argument to say that he might be third this season behind Fox and Sabonis. It's still a big leap. He still has to jump over. those. None of those guys have disappeared. Maybe Barnes takes a step back. Maybe we see less of Herder. That is all possible. But it's very, very far from guaranteed. So just remember, when we're looking at what Murray did, that record is true, and it's a statement of fact, and he did it. Everything else was bad from fantasy. It was well below average, and his production was well below average. And banking on someone to take multiple significant leaps is always fraught with danger. His usage... I said low, started off pretty high. And then as the season went on, they just involved him less, which is the opposite of what you want to see for rookies. He was getting 22%, 18s, 22s. And then at the end of the year, like 13s, 14s. And he, he did struggle in the playoffs until the last three or four games against Golden State. So hopefully that's able to flick a few things on. But he ran into the problem with Mike Brown is that if he went out there and missed his first three shots, he'd play 21 minutes and he'd never get the ball again. Or he'd come out and shoot five or five and then he'd just load up. That's part of the reason of his inconsistency. But there was just never enough opportunity for him to do these things on a regular basis. This sounds like I'm shitting on Keegan. It's not. It's just trying to put him into a position of reality versus what he did last season. His minutes consistently rose. That is really strong. Again, it also shows just how few injuries his team had, where he was just constantly getting big, big minutes. And that is useful. He still only averaged 30 a game, but he was he was very much present. He was very much there. What is interesting, though? All right, so I've said all these things. I've shown you all these numbers, which are all facts. But if I look at his minus one rankings, totals per week, look at how many actually solid weeks there were. That's part of the issue when talking head-to-head, when we look at averages versus what you're actually doing on a week-by-week basis. Averages are great for a roto format. They're less instructive, I think, for a head-to-head league. Because there are plenty of weeks where he was solid, plenty of weeks where he was bad. And this is the inconsistency I'm talking about. 70th, 50th, 204th, 30th, 70th, 180th, 200th, 150th, 70th. It's all over the place. It's hard to know when to use him, when not to. It did improve as the season went on. So while I am being a little bit negative towards Murray, it's more just, again, setting the expectation baseline. But also, there is some value in him. Like I'm not suggesting that he's bad or that it shouldn't be drafted. This is a little troubling. The Darko DPM change graph and improved. Like He was a negative player early. He was on a negative. Like He didn't improve early on. Had a little stretch in the middle of the season where that started to improve. And then he went back into a negative slope player which is not what you want to see from a rookie. You want to see that line consistently being above zero all rookie season. This does not predict anything moving forward. What is, actually, it's not true. There's a little bit of predictiveness in DPM. But towards the end of the season, which we saw as his usage dropped off, his impact dropped off, and he became a worse impact player as the season went on. We hope that that is able to turn around. I'm not precluding it. Let's look at his basketball index headshot plot. Who is on here? There is his teammate, Harrison Barnes. There is low usage, power forward, Grant Williams. There is fellow rookie, Jabari Smith, who also struggled at times with um, getting enough uh, usage. And then there is another low usage, young forward in Pat Williams. 
the two things I wanted to look at here with him, because we saw in Summer League this year and last season that when he was tasked with being the number one guy, he rolled, right? He put the ball on the floor. He did a lot. That's just not likely to be the case, though, on this team. So what I did here was looked at his effective field goal position uh, percentage out of isolations when he was that guy that was trying to cook versus a catch-and-shoot guy. And I looked at his offensive involvement rate. Like, how often did he get used in the offense? And for those of you watching on YouTube, you can see it. For those of you on audio, again, we've got Pat Williams, Jabari Smith, Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, Grant Williams. The unfortunate part is that his offensive involvement rate is the same as Grant Williams. 20th percentile in the NBA. Whereas guys like Pat Williams, a low offensive involvement rate player, Harrison Barnes, Jabari Smith, famously didn't have plays run for him. They sit at 40th percentile, 45th percentile. So Murray was just uninvolved. We'd also hope that he was able to be effective as an isolation guy, and he was okay. He was better than Jabari Smith significantly. They were He was signif- uh, 60th percentile, Pat Williams around the same. Keegan's around 75th percentile on isolation uh, effective field goal percentage. That was well below Harrison Barnes, though. Well below Grant Williams, who was 90th percentile. So part of the reason I would suggest that he didn't get a lot of those options was he wasn't like blowing us away with efficiency. Barnes doesn't get many of those options, but opportunities, but he was good at them. Murray was all right. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't like, wow, he's blowing us away. He's got to have more of these one-on-one cooking opportunities. And this can all very easily change in year two, but that level of just do nothing on offense is not a great sign for fantasy. That that makes him, again, behind Pat Williams significantly and equal to Grant Williams. That's not a great spot to be. And I don't really think you can argue too much with that. I don't actually think there's a fantasy sleeper on this team. There are some things you can look at and go, okay, there might be a bit of value there. But I think as a general rule, most of these guys are positioned in the right spot. Now, I'd say maybe like Sasha Vezenkov ranked 561 on Yahoo, which suggests that he would be drafted in exactly zero leagues ever. He's pretty dumb, right? Like he's better than that, but that applies to really nobody. He's probably a 20-team, 18-team league player. You could argue that Alex Len at 435 also is a little bit low, but we're not talking these draftable players. Nobody stands out as providing me tremendous value. And I'll talk busts in a second, but before I do that, here's the question for the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. We're gonna, it's going to be about Keegan Murray. And the question is going to be, how many points per game did Keegan Murray score as a rookie? And the answer is 12.2. So just write that in the questions, link below. The answer form is linked below on YouTube, and it's in the audio notes for uh, the podcast. 12.2 is the answer for Keegan Murray and his uh, amount of uh, points per game as a rookie. So we've gone in-depth on Keegan Murray. It's time for us to look at the fantasy busts, and he's one of them. But the other one, I think, is uh, Darren Fox. Very, very, very context-dependent. Fox is ranked 43 on Yahoo. He's got an ADP of 39. I actually think that's totally reasonable. I he is a he's still I think that's probably still a little high. He's minus one rank. I have him actually down below that. His straight projections have got him around the 50s. Last season, Fox averaged 25 points, four rebounds, six assists, 1.1 steals, 51 and 78. Was able to improve his percentages significantly. 
Still not a good three-point shooter and not a high-volume guy there. But as I said, like there's, if he's not the, the elite clutch shooter and he's not the elite finisher, that 51% from the field could very easily swing to 48, 49, which is still pretty good for a point guard. But it takes a lot off the top. His assists dropped down as they ran so much more through Sabonis. And I think that continues. My problem with Fox is that he's got an ADP on Fantrax at 31. And then we get to ESPN where I have some problems. I think that his rank on ESPN categories at 42 is again reasonable. I think that's around the right area, round four. I think his rank in ESPN points at 21 is also very reasonable. But what you've got to watch for is his ADPs at 25. Now in a points league, that's totally good. But if you're in a category league and you're taking Darren Fox at the end of the second round, I actually, that's that's pretty bad. Now, this is not just a bust in general. There's just very specific things that need to be talked about. And the same goes with Keegan Murray because he's ranked at 123 on Yahoo. He's got an ADP at 106 and a fan tracks at 105. And while I've just showed you there was a, some concerning things for his rookie year, I actually do think that he jumps up and becomes at the very least the fourth, or the very least the fifth offensive guy, maybe fourth ahead of Barnes, and maybe he st- jumps ahead of Herder. He also might not. I worry that the rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks have no chance of coming, which reduces some of his fantasy value. But if you're taking him at 106, while that there is still a significant leap for him to get there. I don't think that's a disaster sort of a move. I think that's okay at that area. It's not bust, bust territory. My problem lies on ESPN, where he's ranked 71st for nine cat leagues, 76th for points leagues, and he's got an ADP of 91. Remember, he was like 150th on ESPN points leagues. He was 150th in category leagues. That's an 80 spot jump. There is just, there is just no way. In fact, he might actually be my like um, a thumbnail picture for tomorrow's points league bus show. Because that is, it's just playing with fire, trying to expect that level of improvement for a guy where there's not like a clear pathway opened up in front of him. More minutes, sure. And again, this is not a shit on Keegan thing. It's just, I'm trying to show you some of the areas of fact regarding his game. And while there is a lot of improvement there, you're banking on a lot to change. There's no injuries for this team heading into the season. Sabonis and Fox had some, well, Sabonis had that injury from about November. Fox did hurt his arm in the playoffs, but he's good and ready to go. And then we're looking at the trade options. I didn't, I didn't really see one, but I, I've had to put anyone. I'll, I'll put the pencil Harrison Barnes. Barnesy. <laughs> Understanding that they can't do that immediately because they just re-signed him to a new contract. I just, well, they're not going to trade Monk. They're not going to trade Herder, Fox, Sabonis, Murray, Lyles. I, I don't think they're going to do anything, honestly. They should probably do something. And I don't really know the point of Barnes there, but... I don't think they are. It's pretty critical of their front office in the offseason, giving away a first-round draft pick and Rashawn Holmes for nothing. I know you tell me the cap space was to resign Sabonis. It doesn't improve your team at all to do that. And you could have resigned him in the offseason. Right? It's a move that actually made this team, I think, worse. Giving Not that Holmes was going to play, but you gave him up for free and Omax Prosper for free. I didn't like that. And then I also didn't love prioritizing Harrison Barnes to come back. But if they are trading him away after he's eligible to be traded, maybe they bring wings back. But I don't think they're going to do anything. Contract year, guys. Three unrestricted free agents. Monk, Len, and McGee, who just signed. That meant they waived Nemius Cater, who signed with Boston on a two-way. And they waived Nerlens Noel. McGee's the third-string center. Fourth string, probably behind Len and Trey Lyles. And Monk is... Monk's someone to watch, because if Herder gets hurt, if uh, uh, Fox gets hurt, he will be a 12-team league player. 
And in a deeper league scenario, stashable scenario like the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bolt, Monk's a draftable guy. Otherwise, he probably isn't. There just isn't enough playing time for him there regularly. Um, Monk last season averaged, what did he average? 22 minutes a night, 14 points, four assists. Those assists are nice. The free throws are nice, but not enough playing time. But I said they were amazingly healthy. So if someone gets hurt 30 games and he plays 26 a night, when he is a very clear 12-team league player. Len would be someone that you would look at if Sabonis got hurt. I guess Edwards is a restricted free agent. I like Edwards, but he's just not going to be any sort of fantasy impact player. What are the rotation risks? Well, what do they do with the Monk and Herter scenario? Because there were plenty of times last season when Monk outplayed Herter. I don't think Monk's going to overtake Herter as a starter, but there could be times when he just plays more minutes. I don't think that this... Look, Barnes, Monk, and Herter on this team, they might all project at like 130th, 150th in rankings. I just don't think there's any upside in any of them outside of Monk in case there's an injury. Herter, reasonable. He's very up and down with his shooting, but he provides threes and not much else. Barnes, just stock standard average. You get you no defensive stats, limited upside, minutes downside. I don't think that Herder and Barnes are worth drafting in a 12-team league. You might draft them in round 13 and you look at overall team's average and it makes it look better from a projected standings perspective. But in terms of team building, they're the guys you're going to drop immediately to grab that fly guy. And if someone drafted that fly guy ahead of you, well, you don't have the opportunity to get him. So I just don't see the point of drafting someone. Those sort of players appear all the time. There'll be that sort of random guy who's around that mark all year. So I don't think there's any worth any worth in drafting them. The other rotation risk is if Vesenkov surprises and takes minutes away from Barnes or maybe even Murray or shot attempts away. And he moves. That's another risk with Murray. We assume that he's going to go from sixth offensive option to third. Well, you're actually adding Vesenkov into that mix. So that's another offensive guy that's going to need shots. Where the hell does he fit in there? They're all questions. The permanent monsters on this team, Malik Monk's one of them. If he was to play 30 a night, he'd blow up. He'd be fantastic. And the other one to watch, just more from a dynasty perspective, is Jalen Slauson, two-way guy out of Furman. Big steals and blocks guy in college, out of position sort of weirdo. Um, I don't know if he's going to actually be able to translate it to the NBA, but it's just, just a name to watch. See what he does in the G League as well. The depth chart. The guards are Darren Fox. They're going to start him. And then behind him is Davion Mitchell, who I really do not have faith in as a long-term player. His offense just struggles so much. He's pretty good defensively, but he's short. Uh, the shot's inconsistent. And I think that if Fox was to get hurt at all, that Monk would be the guy that I would want over Mitchell, even though Mitchell would still be worth grabbing. There's Monk there as a guard. There's Keon Ellis and then second, uh, two two-way guys, Keon Ellis and Jordan Ford as the other guards. You've got Kevin Herter as a wing with Chris Duarte, who I haven't even mentioned yet, uh, but there's my first mention of him, and um, Colby Jones. Where's the cheese? As for Duarte, really quite poor last season in Indiana. You know that I was very down on him as a draft pick. Um, I think he's had like, like a 10-game good stretch in his career, and that was the first 10 games of his career, and he struggled after that. He should be in the rotation here, but Fox, Mitchell, Monk, Herder are all going to be ahead of him. So he, it's going to take multiple injuries, and even then, I, I really don't see him being any sort of fantasy asset. The starting forwards are going to be Keegan Murray and Harrison Barnes. I'm fairly confident with Vezenkov coming off the bench. Then there's Jalen Slauson and Kessler Edwards. That just shows you, again, the forward depth is not super strong. Vezenkov helps, but if he goes down, then there's not much behind him. Or one of those guys are hurt, then someone else is going to have to push in. And then for the bigs, we're looking at Sabonis as the starter. And that, that leads me to talk about him because I haven't. Because I don't think there's much to say. Sabonis so last season averaged 19 and 12 with seven assists. We know he's going to be bad defensively in terms of stats. 0.8 steals, 0.5 blocks. That's putrid for a center. It's quite bad on free throws, 74%. Not unrecoverable from though. And 62% from the field is awesome. Like, he has tremendous value for fantasy. There's, there's no doubt in that. If you want to take him towards the start of round two, no worries. 
He's ranked 13th on ESPN. Maybe a little aggressive, but I'm not that against it. He's got 15 on Yahoo. I've got him around a similar mark. Mid-second round player, do it. He was a guy that I took at the end of round two last season, and that worked out pretty well for me. And I don't really, I haven't talked about it much because I don't really see much changing for Sabonis for this upcoming season. If we look at what Durant and Bazemore will do, if you want to ask again what Durant is, Durant is my attempt to try and change the way that we look at rankings because of some uh, inadequacies, I think, in traditional Z scores. We're going to be testing it out this season to see how it plays out. Durant does drop the value of Fox and Sabonis a bit, and it does increase the value of Murray. That's something to watch. Bazemore, which is my dynasty metric, which hopefully we get out in the next three or four days over on Basketball Monster, which can use whatever sort of scoring system you want. It has Keegan Murray as a top 60 player. So while I have given a lot of negatives about what I expect from Murray this season, or maybe just calm our farm down, long-term, I do think there is value in him, pretty clearly. I've got Davion Mitchell, who's another young player, outside the top 250. I don't really believe in him. And then Sabonis, because he is a little bit older and because there are some... um, fit issues at times in terms of his play and the fact that the way I'm using Bazemore at the moment is based on Durant. He's actually outside the top 40 for Dynasty. Of course, if you're looking to compete now, you bump him up closer to his redraft number around 20 or so. Like he's not, it's not that he's old, but he is what, 27. So you know he's six, seven years older than draftable players or guys that were drafted in this season. And that, guys, will do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. No Stitcher, it's gone now. Spotify, and on the Odyssey app, and on YouTube. Thumb it up. Leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.